0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Storytinker Purple Hyacinth podcast, Lonely Lullaby. And today we have Fire Dancer Hadzi
1: and hey. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Awesome.
0: So where we left off last episode was after um, Lauren, Kim, and Will discovered Harvey's dead body, and they were talking to um, the rest of the police department about it and Kim has run off. So, down here, if you want to start us off. Right, so starts off by,
2: <clears throat> we have Lauren trying to reach out to Kim, Kim kind of running away. And then Lauren calls out Kim, she's about to run after her. And then Herman stops her saying, Officer Sinclair, I need you to go to the interrogation room and give your report to March on what happened this morning. And then you can see Lauren kind of clenching her teeth, trying not to lose it and just like, can it wait?
0: I found interesting. Like, I don't see that she's mouths off to Herman often. So I think like, you know, she really, really wants to go after Kim to the mm-hmm. extent that she's willing to like be rude to, to her commanding officer.
2: Yeah, no, that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell she does. She does not want to do what he says right now. And that is,
1: but in a few times it's visible. <laughs> it, it kind of shows how Lauren like prioritizes her friends rather than her work mm-hmm. or how she feels uh, um other than what she's supposed to actually do.
2: And I agree. And then Herman says, well, the uh, well, the other two already stormed off. Other two meaning Kim and Will. So we'll start. So we'll have to start with you. Uh, Herman being as unsympathetic as ever. You can see she just kind of like mm, looks away, and he just says, "Focus, focus, officer." Lieutenant Hawks went after her. Liddell is fine.
0: Actually, that was all Herman saying Matt, which speaking mm-hmm. of it I think that was actually pretty sympathetic of him
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm surprised like I totally forgot that he said this yeah but mm-hmm. yeah that's like he actually notices that she's distraught wow mm-hmm. oh my god I can't believe Herman said this I'm <laughs> now I'm shocked Herman, <laughs> Herman, and then, and then, Herman
2: has feelings
3: <laughs> we have Like one panel of Herman like where we really see his expression but mm-hmm. for Herman I would say especially with this dialogue he seems pretty shaken too like He's, he is kind of a jerk, but I think that losing an officer does hit hard for him, especially mm-hmm. someone who is under his watch. Yeah, And, and I think that also kind know. of does play into who he is as a character because, like, this is just my theory, but I think that, like, Herman specifically will take um, his officers out of dangerous positions if it means protecting their safety and I think I don't know if we know this yet, but like Lauren was demoted, yeah, we know this, yeah, and I think he did that out of like to protect her because if Lauren wasn't demoted, she would probably be dead by now, like actually dead,
1: yeah and yeah. and it, uh, so um when looking at Herman with a like a broader perspective, he's um how to say this, I'm not saying that he's like like, a good, good person, but he's, like, one of those decent people out there who would actually sometimes do their job. Mm -hmm. Um, in this case, um, while Herman's priority is to put, um, to put, uh, to put, like, um, Kim, to know that one Kim is, one of his officers are safe, and the other priority is to figure out, how to or what happened what exactly happened to harvey and since it's also early in the morning they have to do it quick or else we don't want more people like him running outside of the pressing so in a sense he's already pretty logical at this point since two people like out of three witnesses two people are gone he has to interview or conduct an interview for the, the last remaining witness
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah Herman I think like although Lauren wanted to comfort Kim I think Herman did make the right choice in having her stay back because um you know like he said they were like the three people who found it and they are going to be suspected if they don't figure out what happens so he probably doesn't want them to be suspects of you know Harvey's murder and so the sooner he can get um eyewitness reports from them like this the better
2: and yeah, no, I agree because even though it is a little bit kind of at least in Lauren's eyes just like unfeeling to say just like no no you you go to the interview now it doesn't wait I do agree that's the right decision because as shaken as all of them are it needs to get done they need to know what happened
1: yeah, and especially it's because it's most likely murder because there's no way that was an accidental death, oh. and yeah, so it also brings the safety to the rest of the officers and staff working at the A.P.D.
0: Right, yeah, office.
2: So yeah, yeah, because I feel like that's maybe why Herman may seem a little bit shaken here, because like. Mm-hmm. It's not just that an officer is dead. It's that an officer is dead in the precinct. So it just means someone got through security, someone murdered, and they got away with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And
0: that's, that's scary.
3: One of my favorite things to think about whenever I want to feel bad for Herman is I just think about how many funerals this man has attended about officers who like worked for him at some point. Just yeah. the guilt that he was supposed to like protect them and he couldn't, so.
2: Yeah, I feel like maybe Herman, I I don't wanna say he's a terrible person because I don't, I don't believe he's a terrible person. I just think, I think he is a good person. Just, he's
1: turned into a very bitter person.
3: Same. He,
1: he sort of um, prioritizes the act of delivering justice first rather than putting his emotions first which is really important for an officer especially an artist because of their motto that behind the mask, when they put on the mask they're not like they're individual they're like representing justice in a sense Mm -hmm. and because and he became captain for a reason I think and He's clearly putting his job first. He's acting. He's acting because of his job, and he's letting his like he's letting his emotions act upon his job, his morals, which are the APD uh, mottos and missions. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I do agree with that. I think he prioritizes the logical side instead of the emotional side but I think his downfall is since I think his downfall is just his pride
3: Mm -hmm. yeah he like Hazzy said he is trying to live up to APD ideals and I think that does stop him in some cases like from actually doing what is best but I think in moments like these he is trying to look out for his officers while still being complicit in what his job requires him to do. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And frankly, like, on Fire's idea of that, Herman is a good person, just who turned really bitter. This is, again, a theory of mine, but we know that Herman was stood up for a promotion. And personally... I think that a good twist would be that Herman was actually deserving of that promotion, but he wasn't loyal to the Phantom Scythe, which is why he didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So instead, the Phantom Scythe, who had, like, infiltrated the APD, they had someone hire someone who was actually loyal or could be puppeted by the Phantom Scythe so they could get, like, even deeper into the police with the chief of police.
0: Mm -hmm that's very interesting
2: you know what I would find interesting if I will I will say this really fast but I feel like it would be interesting if Herman kind of had like a a Severus Snape kind of arc where it's like he's horrible to the main character which like he has a bias against Lauren we all see it and Mm. regardless of what she's done which I do say her demotion was deserved but like bias he has against her it's too much but like he's horrible to main character but if what flute says is kind of like um on the mark i feel like maybe it could go to the route of he's trying to look out for her in his own kind of like very prideful way yeah it could be interesting
1: um like when it comes to, like, when I think of Herman, I don't necessarily think that he's, like, thinking as, like, a biased person only against Lauren. Um, or maybe, like, part of her actions were significant because they did, like, indeed damage the reputation of the APD itself, like, entirely. But in a sense, what she did to get her emotion was definitely, like, one not following the APD morales mm-hmm. and she was really acting on her like emotions she's using her ability but nobody else knows that she has this ability so I mean choose some other person who looks at Lauren doing whatever she did to get her demotion it will make sense yeah because Nobody else would ever know why Lauren would act in that certain way.
2: Yeah, true. Because mm-hmm. from an outsider's perspective, it just looks like Lauren, because she admits this herself, like she let the mask slip. She let it slip and her own agenda came out and mm-hmm. it overrode her logic.
3: And also, I think that um, Herman is playing a game of politics right now. Yeah. Because although something like what Lauren did shouldn't be um as like like we don't really know what she did, but we kind we have some sort of an idea because it's been hinted at. But whatever she did, it ruined or damaged the reputation of the police. And that was something that Herman really couldn't risk. And so in a calculated move, he had her demoted. And I think that was because you can't have people damaging the reputation of the police when you're in a war against a terrorist group. You want the police to inspire confidence and bravery, and you want people to believe in the police, but and um, especially, if people don't believe in the police, then they're not gonna support the police and the police really need all the help they can get to take down the family yeah, side.
1: and especially when the police are right now in a really, really bad position, because like around in like episode 10, 9 or 10, we already know that the citizens are really unhappy with the police. The, because the PS has been there for like 10 years. It's been 10 years since Allendale. And there's no leads to find like the origins of the side. So the people are already unhappy, which makes like the APD's political stance pretty low. And um, by keeping Lauren if he didn't demote Lauren at that point then people are just going to get might have gotten angrier because in a sense they're trying to how do you say protect their own officers that did to a, from the perspective of an outsider something wrong and something that was completely out of the line in their duty yeah now that Herman has gotten a wonderful defense,
0: <laughs> we can't go on. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, so after he says,
2: Lieutenant Hawks went after her. Liddell is fine. You can see Lauren kind of like trying to keep her cool. She's like gripping her fist. And then she says, yes, yes, sir. Of course, I'll do it. It's like a very dark look on her face. So she's clearly not happy about it, but she has to do what he says. And then March is kind of just like, you know the drill. I need to ask you a couple questions. If you saw anything abnormal this morning, any clues, et cetera, I'll talk to Hawks and Liddell when they get back. And then we get the intro. And then it cuts to Kim running outside of the police station, very panicked, very, very much distraught. And then Will's calling after her saying, saying kim kim and then she's not hearing any of it like mm-mm. she's like how do i put this like her
0: eyes are just blanked like, she's not hearing anything he's saying and it's all kind like of like she's white. running out directly into the cold looks like it's snowing and she's yeah not even regarding the weather
2: mm-hmm. yeah and then this is just gonna yeah she's still running and then he realizes she can't He says she can't hear me. And then he starts running faster. (laughs) Then it cuts to her slowing down. And then she stops when she hears music. And then she reaches out to the window. And it looks like just kind of like a pawn shop of sorts, maybe some sort of shop. And then Will rounds the corner He's about to call for her and then he stops. And then you see her just kind of standing by the window, her eyes are closed and just kind of looks like calm on her face. And then I
1: believe Hadzi, it's my turn. Okay, Um, so Will is looking at Kim, touching the window, or she's like sort of like um, casting her palm, hovering her palm over like through the glass um, that's in front of this music box, and it's playing this very beautiful music. And Will sees this different side of Kim compared to when she's at the office and what he's normally used to. And she he kind of just stares at her while she is really in her moment being alone in front of that music box. Um, the music box stops, and she she turns around to face the other side of the street and Will realize how cold it is and he calls out Kim and Kim notices that Will came after her um, and asks, what are you doing here and Will says just checking if you're okay and Kim says well that's surprising I thought you despised me and Will says I do I'm just and he says that he's fulfilling his duty as lieutenant to make sure Kim his subordinates are all right and
0: if I, if I can pause there for a second that to me the fact that he uh you know his immediate reaction was like oh i do i do hate you but then he pauses and he kind of realizes that like he went after Kurt to her uh, because he does care about her but then he just comes up with some you know acceptable excuse for why he ran after oh i'm just fulfilling my duty as
1: lieutenant i would do this for anybody not because of any special feelings for you or kind of i thought like his response was like that because um at this pace um usually their banter would go say yeah i despise you but i thought that because will saw him in this distraught space he rephrased his way of talking in a sense to also just give her a sense of security after what happened
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love how it always takes someone dying for any of the characters in purple hyacinth to to get remotely close to one another (laughs) again these these characters i
2: yeah oh my goodness
3: therapy i mean group therapy (laughs) harvey may be like you know dead in a closet but at least kiwi had a good bonding moment
2: (laughs) (laughs) it was all part of the plan um
1: next panel kim says don't worry too much i was just a little surprised that's all i'll be okay and well kim is clearly not okay like she's she's probably still not recovered from what she saw whatever she saw or what she saw when they found harvey in that closet and well says well you don't normally react like that and usually you would make awful jokes at crime scenes at like the very like the early episodes um with the drop dead gorgeous, gorgeous jokes um and Will says, "But today you you reacted like a normal person." And he said it and weirdly, that was scarier. And Kim laughs, in, and she says, "What she she laughs because she knows that Will cares for her." And she's like, ha ha, well, but it's just that um, And she talks about, uh, she says, when I was little, I used to see cocks like some sort of superheroes. But over time, I realized how human they were. Their clock stopped sometimes just like everybody else.
0: Yeah, so the and, fact that she uses that time, like we know that she has a broken uh, watch, pocket yeah. watch that she keeps with her. So her language, their clocks up like everyone else it's already and like why did she see cops when she was little like what made her think of cops like yeah a lot of people think of cops you know a lot of little kids want to be cops but maybe there was a cop in her life and that's what she's
1: reminded of um Mm -hmm. so uh when she's talking about this um i think what she is kind of she's referencing so like um This is like a real life example, but when I was like a little girl, I was like, oh my God, superheroes are probably immortal because they're so strong. They always defeat the bad guys. Um, Everybody likes them. Um, But then um, Kim says, I realize how human they were and their clock stops sometimes. And um, this is like the harsh reality slap that you get when you're, like, when you start, like, reading Batman or something, I don't know, but um, Kim, like, Kim recognized at some point in her life that not everyone, not everybody is, like, a superhero, To even if they are, like, considered to be a superhero, they're not immortal, they're mm-hmm. not extremely strong. Um they're they're definitely like other people. They're like they're this they're like the same people as us, like as her. And their clock stops sometimes. They're eventually because every human is mortal, everybody's clock is gonna, you know, stop sometime. Um either, like, in the future, near future. We, we never know when it's going to stop.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kim is having a reckoning of her mortality in this um, scene. I think she, she has detached herself relatively well um, from her job and, like, what the consequences and um, things that she'll see in her job are, because being a policeman carries, or a policewoman in this case, carries a lot of weight on it, and um, in it's easy to detach yourself, especially if it relates to some sort of trauma, or if you're trying to avoid the emotional reckoning that happens when um, you know when people die. But people dying is inevitable in this. field of work and um, again you never really think it's going to happen until it happens to you and it doesn't really affect you until it happens to you.
1: And in a sense um, especially because they are in a world with a big terrorist organization on the loose that's getting more power each day and stronger you you really never know when like you're like if you're in that line like you're literally in the front lines if you're like a patrol officers and i think you don't really acknowledge that fact until you reach a certain point like right now um like i highly doubt that people like most people in the apd would like think that um you know somebody would die. Because we have those little moments in the office in the really early episodes. Everybody's acting so carefully, bubbly, everybody's friendly. But I find it hard to believe that some people, like most people, like would probably wouldn't think of what's going to happen the next day, what's going to happen when you get home, what's where you're going to find out, because, I mean, ignorance is a bliss sometimes, but you have to acknowledge that in order to do it, and Kim right now is really showing, like, a great example of somebody acknowledging that really anything can happen to you in life.
2: Yeah, and I think Kim as a person in her line of work it's very easy to get desensitized to tragedy or death i think kim just the way she detaches herself is just humor so she'll make jokes about it and pretend it's easier than it is but then this sort of thing it's it's a shock to the system because you, like you don't think your coworker is going to be the one that you have to clean up their body you don't you never think that until it happens
1: and <laughs> so she was
3: Oh, you could go fresh. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, okay. I, I was gonna say that we just saw um in a few episodes before this, how easily Kim just pulled a gun out on someone. Um so being dis- desensitized is definitely what Kim has gone through if she's just um a so easily like just exerting violence or threatening violence on someone who only has a knife like that person brought a knife to a gunfight (laughs) and then also in the earlier episodes as we saw she just completely couldn't care or didn't show any signs of caring about the dead person and instead she used humor to cover up likely how she was feeling and she probably uses uh, humor to cope with a lot of things and she just um, uses it as a form of escapism to what she is actually doing.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I want to commend Will here because Will, just like we expected him to be, is a fantastic listener, and he really focuses in on Kim. The fact that also, obviously, he recognized that she was distraught and not acting, you know, usual, but he also listens very nicely. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. Will's a great guy.
2: Oh yeah, I think as the person. I feel like he's a great listener.
1: <laughs> and to an extent, what Kim is saying is definitely true. It's the harsh reality of staying in a job in a city with terrorists. And she, Kim was probably joking with Harvey like the day before. She was probably like talking to him like normal. They were in the office doing fun stuff, you know, daily stuff. And suddenly he's just the next day he's just dead in the closet and she was the one who actually found his body um which is terrible and it gives yeah again I think I use this word too much but it's like a reality slap to the face Mm -hmm. and to your soul that really there's always a limit to one's happiness yeah Mm -hmm.
2: and I I find the next line she says down here just We'll get to that in a second, but I just find the next line that she says, like, is so sad. It's, yeah.
1: Um, Okay, so going to the next panel, it says, Now when I recognize that same look in people's eyes, I wonder if they'll ever realize this, that superheroes die too.
3: And I think this line kind of comes from, you know, a moment of growing up because, you know, when we're kids, we're raised as fairy tales, and the heroes always win in the end, and they always live, you know, they get the happily ever after, and, you know, the bad people die, and they're defeated, but that's not necessarily the reality that Kim is living right now, because she had her adolescence, and she had her teenhood um, while the Phantom Scythe was operating, and when the Phantom Scythe um, sort of just exploded literally but (laughs) with Allendale but um, the whole superheroes die too is the realization of that good people aren't immune to these things and it's the moment where something that we thought was a constant in our childhood really isn't a constant anymore yeah, and
2: like the part where she says, I wonder if people will ever realize it that superheroes die too. It's it's kind of since she was seemingly it's been hinted that she had a loss at a young age. It's seemingly like she got hit in the face with reality so young. It she sees everyone else. With rose-colored glass, like she sees everyone else has rose colored glasses on. Meanwhile, like she doesn't have it anymore;
1: it was already ripped from her. I
2: mean, it's
1: it's this is already applying to real life at this point. Um, as humans, we want to believe that there's like two exact sides and the one that's morally bad and the one that's morally good always gets rewarded and the one that's morally bad always gets punished it's it's like what we're taught from a young age be good because you will be rewarded be bad and you get punishments you go to jail mm-hmm. if you're good you can go get a job you can have a family etc it's already into our brains and these brain the, these theories these claims are already supported by the mass media we have of the good guy always winning against the bad guy and it's it's hard to one break out of that reality especially since it's the concept's been there for like a long time It's has it's been like being familiarized, since like everybody is a child, we want to believe that everything good has good consequence, good things that happen to, you and bad things have bad consequences. And um, usually, we're kind of broken from this spell from around like fourth, third, fourth, fifth grade when we start really learning about the world around us, and. But in Kim's case, it kind of looks like, yeah, at a pretty young age, she has to, one, acknowledge that fact. And despite knowing that, like, the world may not be, like, perfect, because we have these justice systems and these, like, moral beliefs that we believe so strongly in, it's hard for, like, most people to believe that the bad guy sometimes wins, the good guys don't always win. And really everybody's the same, regardless if you're bad or good, whatever. It it really doesn't matter because everybody's in the end, like everybody's the same. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of, after a certain point, like you said, you wanna think it's just two sides and it's very, a distinct line, but it's very blurry. And once you realize that it's not be good and you'll be rewarded, it's try to be good and hope that you're rewarded.
3: And okay, Um, I think we should probably also mention how him and Will are police and how that does relate to the real world in this whole talk of morality, because at least in America, there is a lot of people who say that, oh, there's There are good apples and bad apples, and it's all a matter of getting rid of the bad apples. But like Hazi said, you really can't tell who is a good apple and who's a bad apple. And a lot of times, um, police unions and the system end up silencing the police who are actually trying to help their communities. Mm -hmm. And so if Artalas' police system is anything like that, then It is important to take that into account because there are people because we see people who try to do the right thing but um they often end up doing something that is kind of only harmful to others and And the consequences of their actions can be life-threatening
1: yes and um when just looking at what the police Does that and what okay so when we look at police just from their actions what they do, you could like in you just put it simply, they can have guns, they can shoot if they want to they lock people up behind bars. Um, They are presumably serving justice, but sometimes. It's a mistake. Sometimes the wrong person gets behind the bars. And when you just look at these actions, it really makes you question if this is like the actual good way of delivering justice, of determining what's good and what's bad. And as humans, we don't even know the distinction of what's good and bad because we're just really doing, uh, it's like, a, we're like a herd. We're doing what majority thinks is right Mm-hmm. Even if that right or good is not like right at all or not reasonable at all, so <laughs> it's a messy world and, oh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's a messy world and in yeah, in this episode it really kind of acknowledges that mm-hmm.
0: yeah. we'll definitely have a lot to say about that in a later episode and I know you guys know what I'm talking about, so we'll definitely discuss that issue there. Um, So I do want to continue
3: here. I want to add on that. like I think that this is some of the reason why I think Herman was justified in demoting Lauren. Mm -hmm. Because her actions as a police officer are important. And if she does the wrong thing, then she does deserve a serious consequence. Because it's more than reputation. It's about responsibility. Power that you wield as someone who is supposed to protect the community Because your power is privilege, and if you don't use that privilege right, then you end up hurting a lot of people.
1: Oh, yeah. I agree with that.
0: So, Hazza, if you want to finish up this section?
1: Okay. Um, And after that, um, Will notices and says, you seem quite fond of that music box, aren't why? And... Kim interrupts him because she claps her hands and she says, we should really go back to the precinct. And it's like she's purposely dodging Mm -hmm. the question. And Mm -hmm. she says, they're probably waiting for our depositions and infuriating Herman is really not on my bucket list this morning. And so, and then once they say that, Lauren waves to them with their coats and we have this panel of all the three of them with small smiles, and the it transitions to the next scene. Yeah, I, love I, do, that. I didn't
0: even realize that she was wringing their coats out for them. That's very sweet. I
1: you know,
2: yes. like I love those two panels. It, like it's just
0: it's so cute. It, like
2: that's it's, it's a wholesome moment.
3: Yes, and it is. And it's also, um, it, at this point, it's like December or at least late November. So yeah. she's thinking. And she's watching out for her friends.
0: Again, plot-wise, um, I'm in the far, filing away the detail that there's a music box in her life, and that she doesn't want to talk about the melody or the music box or something. So it's like keep in mind
3: what. And especially what it's with, about. oh yeah, and especially with the talk of like you know, kind of these themes of growing up and recognizing like, um, you know, the grayness of the world and recognizing your own morality within. inside that. Um, you also have to mention the moments in episode 18 where Kim uh, was thinking about um, these timestamps and these dates that were right after the Allendale train station bombing. So something like Lauren, um, something probably happened to her around that time.
2: Mm-hmm. And so Like, if it was right after that point, you can pinpoint that she would have been very young. In fact, I think it would be 11. So, yeah.
0: A wee lass. Okay, so now the next scene is we have the bridge, and it looks like it's dusk time. Um, and we see Lauren and Kieran from the back, wearing coats, walking over the bridge, walking together. It's cold. Their breaths are causing, you know, evaporation, whatever it's called, condensation, um, sublimation, something. So air clouds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she has clearly just told him about the death of Harvey because he says, golden viper, you're saying. Mm. And she says, yes, the forensic unit was quite positive about that. And he says, I see, pause, well, that's quite unusual. And he's looking off in the distance and he says, and expensive, whatever the message the killer wants to send. And Lauren is just, she has this snarl on her face. And she says, I wish I could find the assassin who did this to Harvey and send him to rot in jail. She, first of all, she assumes it's a male, but okay. but she is angry, she's very angry, and we, we're, Lauren is usually not so emotional, but you can see that this is affecting her, she's upset, and Kieran looks over at her at this moment, and then he looks away, and his face is in the shadows, and to me, you know, that is, so he's clearly thinking about, well, he says it in a second, he says, I could have been the one to kill Harvey, you know that, because he knows that that's his job, it's an assassin, and he, you know, like, We can guess, honestly, without even without knowing what we know, we can guess that he knows something about this assassin because that it's a Phantom Scythe assassin, presumably, and he's a Phantom Scythe member. So, you know, he's looking at the face that Lauren makes and the anger and disgust and the hatred that is in her eyes, and he knows that could have been him and that could have been leveled at him. And that's obviously his his major conflict, right? That Lauren is so far the only person that we know of that doesn't view him with complete anger and hatred. She has, you know, started to see some positive sides in him. And like, go ahead. Yeah,
2: I feel like also like what she said there, I feel like that might be a sore spot for him because like she says this about this assassin because he killed her friend. But you could also say a lot of people think that about him. Yeah, like, like he has probably many people who loved ones he's killed where they think the exact same thing.
1: And in a sense, this is very hypocritical for Lauren to say, because while she 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 does have the right to be mad, she has the right to be upset, because after all, this was one of her co-workers cool that works in the same office. Um, they seemed to have like a good relationship with each other and but what she's saying here is very hypocritical because despite like saying that what assassins are doing are morally wrong and they should rot in jail she's still working with kieran yeah mm-hmm. because and this is this is very yeah. hypocritical
3: yeah yeah, I and you, say, yeah it's as you say, like, yeah, it's hypocritical, but then, as you said, um, but yeah, Lauren only really cares when it affects her. And so far, Kieran hasn't killed anyone that would be like really important to her, so she has no motive to be mad at him. But, um, her reality right now with Harvey is the reality of hundreds of people. And there are hundreds of people who have lost um family members and friends to, um to the purple hyacinth, and yet she does not express anger or remorse on their behalf, even though she is working with um their loved one's murderer and she doesn't care because having Kieran around benefits her and her own motivations for mm-hmm. taking down the phantom site so she is willing to turn a blind eye but only when it benefits her.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she obviously did care like you know she didn't like just hop
3: run and skip
0: to make the deal with him like it did cost her a lot but yeah she definitely is choosing to squash that down.
2: Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. the moral dilemma. In I mean, a sense she's
1: In a sense she's also like she has a really narrow sight of the world. Like, mm-hmm. she's seen, she, okay, so I feel like she acknowledges that, like, the world itself is, in a sense, like, morally great. I think she acknowledges that, but she fails to notice that the morally grayness of the world is really right next to her. Yeah. Or it's around her, and it's even in her own actions.
2: Yeah, Lauren herself, I feel like, is a very black and white person. Like, I think she acknowledges the world can have gray areas, but I don't think she sees the gray areas in people. I think she sees it as very, like, straight. Like, you're either bad or you're good, and that's, that's all there is to it. And it's, like you said, very narrow, very narrow mm-hmm. viewpoint
3: to have. I would even say that, like, you know, coming out of Kim's point of view, where she has had that moment um, of, like, there is a lot of gray in this world compared to Lawrence, like, um, you know, still very black and white view. It kind of shows how a difference between the two, where Kim has sort of grown up in this sense whereas lauren hasn't
0: mm-hmm. yeah, i'm excited that the story takes on this theme i think it's a fantastic theme for the story to show us you know changing so now kieran asks her he says what would you have done and you know if he had been the one to kill hardy and she looks down for a second ponders thinks about it and kieran's looking at her intently you know like waiting for her answer It looks like he, a lot of his emotions are hinged on her answer. And she has this, again, her very angry look on her face. And she says, I would have killed you. And Kieran bursts out laughing. (laughs) And he's like, he laughs and he said, At least you're a clear officer. Because, you know, Kieran, like, yes, while I personally think he's sensitive, he also has developed a very, very, very strong wall. And he does appreciate you know, novelty and honesty and something unique. And he generally appreciates it. So he says, ah, at least you're clear, I suppose I wouldn't expect less of you. So, and
1: yeah. and Karen himself acknowledges that what he's he's doing is really wrong, morally wrong. It's definitely not the best thing to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so by, he's not surprised about Lauren's response and he knows her personality at this point. He he knows that um, if he ever like associates her, like if his job as an assassin associates with her in any way, she would definitely would have killed him. Yeah, and I think I find it interesting that this
2: is one of the few questions he's ever asked her where he was deadly, he, like not deadly serious, but like he was. There was no humor in his question. It was because usually, like he he'll be serious, but he has like a hint of like humor to it, where he's like kind of like he doesn't care about the answer really. This one, he was like hit, like he was like hinging on her answer. He was just waiting for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love seeing people being serious. So I love it. And now Lauren stops and she kind of looks down and fidgets with her fingers because she's about to kind of like ask him for a favor and Lauren doesn't do that easily. And she says, do you have any idea who it could be? And Kieran kind of looks away, says, I have my suspicions, although I'm not sure of anything. And he looks at her and says, I can find the person who did it for you. Hmm, he is giving her an offering. He is going to do her a favor
2: (laughs) all on his own.
0: Oh, and she looks shocked at him. Like, very shocked. And a little childish here, too. You know, it's like an unguarded expression. And then she smiles. She has her nose is red because it's cold outside. First <laughs> genuine smile
2: she's given him. A real smile. She appreciates. Uh, this is the first moment. When I, when I read this chapter for the first time, this was the first moment where I'm just like... <laughs> genuine
0: emotion. I... <laughs> Love that. See that you know, like a, finally a non-aggressive, abrasive interaction between them, or not something but, dripped in sarcasm. Right. But Kieran immediately, you know, like moves on, and he's like, "However," and he has this cute face. He's oh. like, "We have much more pressing matters we need to talk about tonight. Fleming's will be back in town in two days, and we better start planning all the, our little infiltration." Orin asks, "We have enough time to build a file on him?" Nope. And somehow, I have a feeling we should not neutralize him yet. I want to learn more about him before moving against them he could be useful later and then lauren's like hmm so when you said i have to dress up you meant <laughs> she has this anxious look on her face he's like yep i borrowed one of their uniforms a few hours ago borrowed in quotations and he holds out the bag to her and he takes it out and he's like and trust me and he grins and his focus is on just his little smirk you are going to hate it and then whoosh <laughs> and by the way food i thought i said food first and i was like wow that's a nod to like their favorite fan but no it's just, it says foosh but we could pretend it says
3: food and <laughs> every time i see foosh i'm like hey it's me it's <laughs> like at one point i did have my name as like foosh as a joke because i would just do parodies of food because it would just get like auto corrected so many times so oh. yeah. <laughs>
0: So he brandishes this outfit. Lauren has a shocked look on her face and then she has a disgusted look (laughs) on her face and she says, what the? (laughs) 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 Really, she does not
3: like her outfit.
0: Uh uh,
2: She doesn't like it at all. Like,
3: I just love... Deserves better than this.
2: (laughs) I just love the look of like glee, almost glee on his face at her at
0: her misery. I love it. We can expect no less from our sadist, Karen. <laughs> of course.
1: So, In 30 seconds or less, what are your final thoughts on this episode? Um, this episode is definitely one of my favorites. It was definitely one of those episodes that kind of kept me in, like helped me keep reading the whole series because it it focuses on... I personally really love the gray morality thingy. When it comes to superheroes, have their limits. It it acknowledges reality at the same time, and and the I really like these character growths a lot. And um, I don't know. I just like seeing Kim talking about these things because one it's her honest opinion and it definitely helped me get to know kim better as a character
3: mm-hmm. okay i might get some slack for this but i think this episode is like really overshadowed by the log shipping at the end because when i hear people talk about this episode i hear them talk about the last scene i don't hear them talk about the kiwi scene and i think that's a really big shame because the kiwi scene is just so important and so beautifully written and just their interactions and what kim says and those whole themes like we don't talk about that enough that is like yeah, that is some deep that... stuff right there and yet people always focus on the like lucky shipping and like oh he did something for her and oh like she smiled at him but like
1: yeah y'all I think, yeah I think that's one of like um the aspects of kind of ignoring the serious stuff for something more lighthearted hearted because yeah. I can really I can understand
3: the themes into practice right now of this uh, because
1: i can i can understand why some people might not like like the first part of the episode where they talk about all that morality and stuff because um really when i recommended this to one of my friends they they were they were saying like oh the, the lucky at the end oh ho, ho. and i just like oh just as as like a person who loves philosophy, I'm just like, did you, did you, did you, what did you think of the first part? Like, like, like the kiwi part where they talked about the superheroes, and they're like, oh wait, I have to read it again, and it was really funny. um, but um, I think it's something that definitely should be acknowledged more mm-hmm. because it's it's a broad theme that is one interesting and. It's definitely tied into, like, our world, because it it, it is reality. There's no such thing as a superhero, really. And not anybody can be, like, like, not everybody good can be happy. And just because you're good doesn't mean that you can't have, like, a good life a good long life it can always be cut short it can happen really anytime and this is what I really love about this episode I think
2: yeah I think what I like most about this episode is the sorry oh, <laughs> uh, I like the genuine emotions of the characters because most of the time they have a lot of walls that they have like Mask, masking their real emotions but this is you kind of you broke they broke them down to like their genuine feelings and you can actually see it with uh Kim's thing about superheroes it's very you get an insight into her head and it's these genuine moments with Kim and Will and then you get Karen and Lauren at the end like him showing some genuine like kind of concern for what she thinks and then her kind of giving him a genuine like a genuine kind of smile and thank you sort of thing it's it's all very nice to see some genuine emotion without the sarcasm and the humor
3: and it's such a good kim episode because a lot of the time she is characterized as like you know watermelon and just raccoon and um just (laughs) comedic relief and that is all people see her for but she's so much deeper than that and um I'm so glad that this episode does exist because um it really just explores an aspect of Kim that we don't get to see very often and reminds us that um Kim isn't uh, such a tutti person that a lot of people make her out to be she is um feeling and living and she does have real emotions
1: and she is definitely in my opinion she's like I think like most of my friends just categorize her as like that one side character for comedic relief like most of my RL friends and I'm just like okay but there's you have to admit that she is definitely not a side character she is I mean, everybody is not exactly a side character because each character has their own emotions and they definitely have things that they hide from other people. There's no such person who doesn't have any secrets. There's no such person who's like so transparent that you could see like whatever they're feeling. There's always something that a person has to hide. Indeed. Well,
0: thank you so so much for coming on to this episode everyone's thoughts were fantastic yeah this i agree that this is a very um it's nice to see another side of the characters and especially like the queuing interaction and their vulnerability well thank you so so much for coming on and sharing all your wonderful thoughts
3: thank you for yes, having us as always thank you very yes, much Thank for you. us have a good night Yeah.
1: all right bye y'all
0: Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie Lady Lipris, Lily Jenny Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth Maria Molly, Veronica Emily Emily, Joe, Rochelle Dahlia Saucy Tuggles, Meg Ann Rose Priya, Alex Misty Laura, Joanne Patty Jen, Emilda and Shannon. Your support is really, really appreciated.